welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, I'm John Negroni, film editor for The Young Folks from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's a news and entertainment writer at Collider, and he has enough hot takes to fill the Nile. It's Will Ashton. Ah, man. I was wondering when that quote was going to come into play. I've been working on my Gal Gadot impression of that line. Gal Gadot. Gadot, sorry. Gal Gadot. And I think it's Gal Gadot. Like, you're supposed, you're not supposed to do the emphasis on the T. Okay, Gal. That's my, that's what I picked up. It's like Gal Gadot. You got to do it quick and soft. Gal Gadot. Yeah, it's like you almost don't hear it. That's where the confusion Uh, comes from. Gal Gadot. Because people barely hear the T and they're like, oh, it's Gal Gadot. No, no. Gal Gadot. No. 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 Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. You got to say it quick and Gal Gadot. But yeah, that's what happened. That there. quote, you know, what's funny about that quote too is because you you messaged it to me, and I didn't see the trailer for Death in the Nile. So <laughs> yeah. like, and I hadn't seen the movie, and you you made some reference to it, and I was just like, well, that's random. Did you even for you, Will? Did you see the the theater live reaction to that line on opening no, no. day? I mean, I have to send that to you. There is a so yeah, the the line that you're referring to is that a chef in the North Champagne. Do you feel denial? Uh, that's your Gal Gadot impression? That's my impression of that line. That's not really my uh, impression okay. of how she normally speaks. But Yeah, you, you, the way you that, sounded like a different character in that movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I sound like, uh, like a composite of every Barrow. other character. Yeah, yeah. Everyone in this voice, or everyone in this movie has a weird voice. Uh, and everyone in the last movie had a weird voice. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I think that was with the editing of the trailer more than the actual line read because the line read in the film's weird but not that weird but the way yeah, I, I didn't think anything of it during the movie i was just like yeah right. she's having fun she's on the boat and she's gonna drink some champagne let her do her thing but yeah there's a video on twitter that's been going around where um i, I guess a live audience i don't know how many people were there and they got enraptured when that happened they literally busted into it burst into applause when that line came out applause? And it was, yeah what? they started screaming Why? honestly they were screaming and bursting into applause when that line happened it's amazing friend uh, of the show dan merle uh he he does like the box office thing on his youtube channel yeah. and i loved i loved that what he named what his new video going under the box off and he said uh yeah not enough to fill the nile in regards to the box office performance of this movie <laughs> so i was like well done dan mm. well done and uh we, we we're not going to talk about the box office much i guess we're going to uh, talk about this movie death on the nile the sequel to murder in the orient express later in the show here we're also going to talk about kimmy the new steve soderbergh movie mm. that is now on hbo max and Do is you? it also on theaters or is it just no, hbo max it is only hbo max i was thinking about this i think right yeah the last steven soderbergh movie i went to theaters was unsane right was it really I mean, let's I, say uh, yeah because laundromat or yeah laundromat was netflix and, and then, um, uh high flying bird they were both yep, Netflix. let them all talk was amazon yeah and, no, uh, no no that was that started the hbo max saga of the soderbergh filmography so there was let them, let them talk. all talk was let them all talk uh hbo that was hbo let them all talk oh for some reason i was thinking let them all talk was amazon and then no sudden move was last year that was the yeah, second yeah, film was also... with hbo max and now there's was that not in theaters they didn't do the no. simultaneous that's so weird that's such a good movie yeah and then uh kimmy is also a uh, streaming exclusive and now um the one that surprised me the most is that apparently magic mike final trip or whatever the next movie that he's yeah, yeah, triple xl whatever they're gonna call it yeah um triple quadruple I mean, I agree with someone on Twitter who said that should have been called Magic Mike 3D. That would have been perfect. It's right there. Yeah. But oh, well. oh my god. Oh, that's that's genius. But, Wait. Okay. By the way, yeah, you're you're right that it's yeah nothing in like wide release. But I just I just checked. No sudden move did play at the Tribeca Film Festival, so it was on the big screen. Not something. Okay, but that was like a one time exclusive. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm cheating a little bit. You know, I'm just kind of squeezing around. 
But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um Kimmy later in the show, yes. and uh, we'll start with Death and Nile, all that stuff. There were two other movies though. There were a bunch of movies that came out this week. Two of them in particular. Oh, well, first we'll say, I, I think you wanted to bring up Blacklight, the Liam Neeson thriller. Did I want to bring this up? I just mentioned I, that it exists. It sounded you like you wanted to mention it. Uh, I mean, I have. That it, yeah. Sorry, that we didn't see it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, I just want to get it out there. We did not watch this movie. We're not reviewing yeah. this movie, but the word on the street is that it's terrible. It's a uh, terrible. I think the Rotten Tomatoes is like 3%. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that three percent are like a couple of critics who got. I think you know, it's yeah, six percent. I looked at. I saw a screen cap like, of it, and I didn't feel offended because I knew we weren't reviewing it, so I didn't feel tainted right, right. by having seen this score. But even the like consensus quote that they have on the bottom was real uh-huh. snippy. They said turn it off. Like they didn't even I'm have like it up a, right now. just yeah. turn it off because it's the light. That's fine. Yeah, it's seven percent even... now. Okay, so they went up. Reviews. Uh, yeah. Man, so I guess what's his face? Um, uh, uh, Cole Smithy saw it and gave it three out of five or something. I'm looking like right. There are five fresh critics. I'm assuming each one of these is a publicist. Um, <laughs> I do not recognize any of these outlets, I, except for screen outlets. I've heard of screen outlets, but I'm not like sure. a reader. Uh, there, Fat Guys at the Movies, AARP Movies for Grown Ups, United Press International, and Lyle's Movie Files. Will Ashton, that is not a ringing endorsement of them. Mm. I no disrespect whatsoever to these critics at all. No, but, uh, uh, no yeah, love from Liam Neeson Weekly or anything yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Liam uh, dot yeah. blogspot. There's the audience score though. I'm looking at is 250 plus verified rating, 71. percent So yeah, clearly the people who came out, they were like, uh, I don't know what the big deal is. I saw the Liam Neeson movie I wanted to see. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I saw the one before this. I think uh, the Marksman, whatever. Yeah, it yeah was. I saw yeah. that too. You saw that? No, wait, no, I didn't. I, I'm thinking of something else. I'm probably yeah. thinking like cold shoulder or whatever the hell. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you were thinking of something else like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's just been on a uh, particularly notable in its unnotableness streak of. I was going to say notable uh, is quite a choice of words. For- it's particularly notable in how unnotable his recent streak of mediocre movies are. So. Yeah. Hey, the guy wants his paycheck. He's made a lot of great movies. He can do whatever he wants as far as I'm concerned. Make your crap if you sure. want. Sure. I don't care. Um, but yeah, we're not going to talk about that movie. The two other movies that came out that were kind of notable in terms of like, okay, are people going to watch this? Because it was Valentine's Day weekend. Happy Valentine's Day again, Will. Oh, uh, happy you know, Valentine's Day, you, Joe. You know, I choose, choose, choose you. The uh, the two movies, though, that I think kind of were like, okay, these are the, these are your two main options, right? There, there was like a Paramount Plus original called The In-Between with Joey, Queen, uh, with Joey King that, yeah, yeah, I don't think a lot of people were that excited about. But there were two other movies, uh, romantic comedies. One of them really good. The other kind of good with like a caveat. Uh, one of them is I Want You Back, which is on Amazon Prime. It's streaming. You can check it out. Charlie Day, Jenny Slade, Scott Eastwood, Gina Rodriguez. I really enjoyed the movie. I reviewed it for Cinemaholics. You can find it right now. And I think it's the better of the movies. And I think you and I, we might be doing a bonus episode of it this week. So stay tuned for that. So I won't get into detail. Um, but the other movie was Marry Me. And Marry Me is a movie that I think kind of made a bit of a like a little bit of a splash I, like to the, at least in my perception because like people i know who don't follow movies were asking me about this a lot of people like people in my family i i recommended the movie to my mother because she's a big jennifer lopez fan she is and, and she's pretty whatever with owen wilson she loved mary me. mary me did it for her and i think it's one of those like i don't know well i i know you have no interest in seeing this movie about a woman who is like a superstar 
it's basically a bunch of like songs. It's like JLo performing the entire time, basically. And it's like a cheesy romantic comedy. You know what's going to happen. It's super predictable, but it's kind of charming and it's pretty inoffensive. But sure. why, why did you, why did you decide, you know what? I'm not feeling it. It had not nothing. It, it had nothing to do with the movie. It was solely because I just did not have time this weekend. I had a pretty hectic weekend, unfortunately. So I did not have a chance to see this one. I barely got a chance to see Kimmy. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, well, hold on, because you were saying earlier off the air, you're like, yeah, I'm going to see I Want You Back. It sounded like you had an interest in I Want You Back, well, but not Marry Me, which is on Peacock, right? So sure. I'm just kind of curious. Why, you know, how'd you decide? Well, I got a screener for I Want You Back, which was why I wanted to prioritize it because I had uh, an unexpectedly hard time getting that screener. Oh, so I'd feel so bad. This is if a we business didn't. thing. This isn't yeah. like, okay, okay. All right. Because I, the one I was mainly interested in seeing outside of this was, I think, called Big Bug, which is the, I don't know how to pronounce his name per se, but it's the first film in like 10 years from John Barry Janut. The guy huh. who's known for Amelia and Delassant and City of Lost Children and um, uh, very long. I, I'm going to try to pronounce. I'm probably going to do it wrong as well. But Jean Pierre Genou. OK, I let's, think it's pretty close. Let's to hope I said. that's uh, kind of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he is a, a, a filmmaker of great renown. Netflix dumped his movie rather unceremoniously onto Netflix. Uh, yeah, like I said, and um, I haven't seen anybody on my timeline talking oh, about it. And I like, people seen... talk about. Yeah. People talk about a meal all the time, right? Like they're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the movie of the taste of yes. the whatever. And uh, with Big Bug, Big Bug is here and people are just squashing it. Well, not only, I mean, I'm a big fan of his work and that's why I was really interested. But I heard someone on Letterboxd describe it as if you love the cat in the hat, this is the movie for you, which I don't love the oh, cat in the no. hat, but I had a podcast devoted to uh the cat hat for a season so i instantly let my friend chris sheridan know that but uh i i that did pique my interest i'll admit more so than marry me so i feel like if of the movies like if you and i were going to do a drunk watch along i mean we would do blacklight but if blacklight wasn't a possibility i feel like this movie would be worth drinking to yeah it's apparently a sex satire so i I don't really know much about it other than that Uh, oh even better I don't know where the uh, cat and the hat comparisons go from there, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of scratching my head, actually. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the dude has uh, obviously proven himself elsewhere, but I don't know. It's uh, it seems like a fascinating film, but unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it. Agreed. Seems very fascinating. But yeah, so th- that's the stuff that we are not going to talk about. That's stuff that uh, your other options if you're not interested in Death in the Nile. And based on the box office, I think that. I, I could see why you're not interested or I can understand well, why some people aren't. Um, although I'm looking at the box office right now. It's not that. I, mean, I was going to say, great, I was very curious. I was very curious about the box office for this one because um, I'm looking at the numbers for the first time. And I'm like, yeah, this, this is kind of, yeah. I mean, the I mean, first it's not one did, good. Yeah. I mean, the first one obviously did fine. Right. Cause it, it got a sequel. Um, but I mean, I don't know if it's because of the Belfast boost or if it's just mm-hmm. the stars involved or at least a few of the stars involved uh, that uh, drew interest to my screening. But I was expecting when I saw it at like a 2 p.m. Friday showing, I thought it would be like me and like a couple in the back. Like I was expecting, you know, it's oh, but it dead. wasn't. It was no, I mean, it was like there were like, I think, uh, I want to say about 10 people in that showing, at least like 10 or 12 people. Uh, you know, I kind of kept my distance because a few of them were coffers. But, uh, you know, I, I was the youngest in that audience by at least three generations, I think. So I don't okay. think it's bringing uh, the young and vibrant crowd per se. But it is it drew a crowd to my showing, at least. So I was expecting the box office to be better than I initially anticipated. 
So I'm I'm looking at it right now, and yeah, I think I I think I did get kind of a a weird like a maybe distorted impression of what this movie was supposed to be successfully because I'm looking and it's it's opening weekend is pretty comparable to Murder on the Orient Express. Now, well, first off, let's set the stage here. Let's talk about Death on the Nile. Let's play a little clip from the trailer. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide. We have the Karnak all to ourselves, a chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? When you have money, no one is ever really your friend. It's too late to change events. It's time to face the consequence. Someone is dead. The crime is murder. Okay, so this movie. It's the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express, of course, of course, the adaptation of the, the, the classic Agatha Christie novel. Mm-hmm. And this is also based on an Agatha Christie novel. It was also a film. Uh, this is, I think, the third time we've gotten a, an adaptation, a screen adaptation of the Death in the Nile story. Uh, first time being, like I said, the 78 film that had Maggie Smith, Betty Davis, Angela Lansbury, incredible cast. And there was also a TV series. I don't know, did you ever see Agatha Christie's Poirot? No, I did not. It's kind of before our time, probably, like when we would have been interested. It's like early 2000s. I mean, that's not before our time, but, you know, it's like before you and I probably was, were interested in that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the Death of Nile, it's been around. Like, people know this story. Now, as a sequel, though, it's kind of carrying over a lot of things. Kenneth Branagh's directing once again. He's also starring once again as Hercule Poirot. We have a new cast, yeah, different kind of location. But, it, you know, it's it's still kind of the same sort of like mid-sized budget studio, like blockbuster-esque kind of movie. I say mid-sized budget, but I guess this in this case, it's not. Because Murder in the Orient Express was like $50 million, which is about mid-sized. It's a little bit more than the usual mid-sized, but it's around there. This movie, however, has a $90 million budget. That's, that's a pretty big budget. I think we're, we're starting to get into like, they had big expectations for this. And I think that's why it's, people are probably like, yeah, this is a bad, this is a box office failure because mm-hmm. it's coming out in February yes. and Murder in the Orient Express came out in November. It was opening against Thor Ragnarok and Daddy's Home mm-hmm. and it still went on to do pretty well. It grossed somewhere around like three to $400 million against a $50 million budget. Big success. Like you said, that's why I got the sequel. This movie though, uh, yeah, $90 million budget is grossed $33 million so far. It's, yes. that's not great i, well, I think your first week and you need to come you need to hit at least half of your production budget and it's not looking great yeah i mean the weird thing about this movie though is that it just had such a tumultuous release schedule where it was supposed to come out i believe in 2019 originally um i think the well, it, was, shoot- it, it started yeah. filming at the end of 2019 okay but yeah but it wasn't supposed to it was like you know they uh, yeah yeah because they they were like casting this thing in 2018 okay. hoping to film it and yeah but did they initially announce a release date in 2019 or is that am, am i mistaken there they might have i actually don't know that okay i just remember it got shifted to 2020 because they were just like oh you mm-hmm. know we'll finish shooting it and you know everything will be good normal in 2020 so we'll release it then obviously well, yeah, cause they finished they finish it shooting it we should say before the pandemic months before the pandemic yes uh so yeah this was one of the last remaining completely made before the pandemic movies that was still mm-hmm. on the shelf waiting to come out 
Uh, I think at this point there's like Top Gun, Maverick, and then like maybe one or two other movies that were made entirely before the pandemic happened. They're still waiting to come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was one of the most notable ones because it was just a very it, the release for it was odd because I didn't feel like there was that much excitement or interest for it. There wasn't like anyone was like, ugh, that movie. But it was just kind of like, OK, we'll just I guess we'll, well just even, wait. Even the people in the cast, like I think because of some of the like stuff going on with like, you know, Army Hammer right, well, yeah, and about the tissue, right? Yeah. But like just to say, and I'll let you get to that, Gal Gadot herself, like people were saying like mm. she, she was way more active about the marketing for Red Notice, that Netflix mm. movie she was in than death in the Nile. Like she's practically like, she hasn't pretended that death in Nile doesn't exist, but certainly sure. not the same like enthusiasm. Right. Yeah. I guess. I mean, it, I, I didn't get the sense that anyone involved with this was like super passionate about it coming out or anything like that. I could be wrong. Maybe Kenneth Branagh was really biting, chopping at the bit for it to come out, but it just seemed well, like, see? cause he has Belfast in the wings, you know, it's just like, yeah, everybody's just kind of moved on. Right. It's just sure. like, oh yeah, that thing we did in 2019, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird thing, right? Because, like, Kenneth Branagh had such a weird 2020 because, like, for his, it looked like it was going to be like, all right, this is the year my movie Artemis Fowl comes out. This is the year my movie Death <laughs> of the Nile comes out. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is the year my big, splashy supporting role in Tenet comes out, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Sure yeah. enough, uh, Artemis Fowl does come out, but it is dumped on Disney Plus. Tenet comes Every, out. Everyone, the, everyone pretends that it doesn't exist, including sure. the people involved, because it's that bad. Uh, yeah. Tenet does come out, but it is a source of controversy for its release. Um, and then Death of Now just, you know, seemed like it was getting delayed forever because it got pushed to 2021. Cause it's like, well, I guess there's something with the contract where it had to be released in theaters. I'm not I'm not quite sure why Disney was so adamant about not putting this on Yeah, I mean it's uh, the same thing we experienced Net- with Artemis Fowl. Right. And with New Mutants, these movies that are kind of carryovers from 20th Century Fox before the Fox uh, deal kind of finalized. was I don't think Artemis Fowl was a carryover from the 20th Century Fox uh, deal. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something. I'm thinking of something else. I think that's why probably. they put it on Disney Plus because they were able to put it on Disney Plus. I guess I'm like, just conflating it with New Mutants for some right. reason. Right. Yeah. Because that's I think the Fox movies have to like I, I'm it's had to be something in their contract where they had to be yeah. released in theaters. because It seems like they're just kind of buying their time with this one. And like you said. In the time in the time it took this movie to be released, like the the movie Belfast was written, it was shot, it was released, and it was nominated for Best Picture. And yeah. I, it seems like they're finally releasing this movie in February of 2022 because they're like, okay, Kenneth Branagh has a little bit of a bump now. You know, they they expected as it did that Belfast was going to get nominated for a bunch of Oscars. It's like we'll just kind of cash in on this recent small cachet of his and hope that people if they're going to come to see it they're going to see it now so that's why he's out promoting this movie i guess or releasing it now but i don't know it it, it had such a tortured release that uh it, it kind of has an underdog feel to it where it's just like i think maybe some critics were even more sympathetic than they would be otherwise because just like well you've had such a tough go of it. And like you said, that's not even counting the whole army hammerness of it, where he is, you know, being accused of cannibalism while this movie is waiting to come out. And it's just like, man, oh man, like what, what a tortured movie this end up being. It's cursed. It's cursed. Yeah. It's, as, it's as cursed as like the, you know, the Egyptian curses you could find. in like a movie like this takes place in Egypt, um, like a mummy or something. It, it really is something funny. It's like it just everywhere you look a booby trap of some sort. Yeah. And I, I it's funny too, because we say all this, right? And yet the movie made grossed more than Belfast did in a few days than Belfast did over the course of like a couple of months, right? So like 
there's a lot at stake with this movie. I feel like I did see a lot of marketing for it. Like I saw billboards. I saw, you know, I, I didn't see the trailer, but I know people who saw like, oh yeah, the trailer was always playing. Like every time I went to the movies, like clearly they did put money into this because they expected some kind of return, but it just feels like there's no creative interest really from the people involved of like, yeah, this is a movie that I really want to attach my name to. Uh, this cast is pretty prolific, we should say too, right? Because we mentioned a bunch of them, but we also have Tom Bateman. We also have Annette Benning, We have Russell Brand. Ali Fazal, Don French, uh, Rose Leslie, Emma Mackey, Sophie Okonedo, Jennifer Sanders, Susanna Fielding. And, and I want to mention something about Emma Mackey here. She's one of the leads in Sex Education, that Netflix show that I maintain one of the best teen shows, teen drama, drama comedies of all time. It's fantastic. And she's one of the reasons why. And I'm watching her in, in this movie, and this is the first thing of criticism, I guess I'm going to say. Ooh. I, well, not criticism in a bad way, okay. criticism of like, let's talk about the movie. Sure. Um, this, like, th- she is incredible in this movie compared to some of the other people in this. I was Her, Sophie Okonedo, and Tom yeah. Bateman, I think, are the best best in this movie. And watching Emma Mackey in this, I'm like, she is a movie star. You know, seeing her make this transition to the to the big screen. And, and I want more Emma Mackey content is, is my stamp because she is like a truly good in a movie that's not that great. Um, I'll, we got to say the, uh, the setup, but did you have something to say before we say what the synopsis is? Well, I was going to say, cause it's, it's Emmy Mackey. You say right now, I mean, Emmy McKay, it could be McKay. I, I, I say the Mackey, but um, McKay, something like that. Yeah. I didn't know. I wasn't too familiar with her, but I, I remember taking notice of her and looking up and realized she was in sex education. Cause I just remember being like, she's the one that seems to be most in tune with what this movie should be and having the right energy and giving a good performance in that vain and i was kind of hoping the rest of the movie would be at her level and it's often not but i felt like when she was on screen the movie was kind of i was with it with with her because she seemed it to was be scintillating doing, when she yeah. was around yeah her, I mean, and i i maintain her okinato and bateman sure yeah i i can get behind that so what is this movie about all right well there's a death on the nile who would have thought it is another murder mystery and we have Hercule Poirot, played by Kenneth Branagh, who he's like on vacation, sort of, in Egypt. And he kind of he's he's a bit of a wedding crasher in this, uh, although the wedding has already happened. Uh, the movie kind of begins with these characters, Emma Mackey's character and Army Hammer's character. They're in love, they're engaged, and they don't care who knows it. And however, something kind of goes down where the Army Hammer character falls in love with the Gal Gadot character, who is a friend of the Emma Mackey character. I, I obviously don't know people's names. And uh, they get married six weeks later. And at this point, Emmy Mackey's character, her name is Jackie, or Jack. She is kind of like, well, I'm going to stalk these two and make them feel unsafe. And so they're trying to get away from her. They're honeymooning in Egypt on the Nile. They get on this boat with uh, a lot of like their different friends. So Tom Bateman uh, plays Book, who is a friend of not just the uh, Gal Gadot character, Lynette, but also a friend of Poirot. So that's how Poirot kind of gets connected into this world. This like social circle is through book. Uh, his mother in this movie is played by Annette Benning, and she's like an amazing painter. And then everybody else, like Russell Brand is like a doctor who was once engaged to Lynette. Again, that's a Gal Gadot character. Ali Fazal plays Lynette's cousin and lawyer. And uh, Letitia Wright is like a childhood friend of hers named Rosalie. Sophie Okonedo is a jazz singer who happens to be Rosalie's aunt. So like everybody kind of has like a connection 
action. And this is essentially an Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie mystery where something happens, uh, somebody dies, and everybody kind of has their own sort of reason for why they might have done it. And it's, of course, Hercule Poirot's job to get to the bottom of it, sort of accuse and interrogate people and do all that fun stuff. Here's the problem with the movie for me. And it's the same problem I had with Murder on the Orient Express. However, this movie, I think, is better than Murder on the Orient Express because it's, I think it has better performances overall. And like as we've already mentioned, Murder on the Orient Express, I remember almost nothing about that movie. Part of the reason is because the first time I watched it, I had to watch it twice because the first time I fell asleep because I was painfully bored by it. Uh, but I did watch it again because we had to review it. And I think that this movie actually does have characters, like we've already mentioned, who are kind of on a level where I'm like, this is interesting. But I think with the same problem with Murder on the Orient Express, it's the same problem with this. I just think... Kenneth Branagh is not very good in it, like as Hercule Poirot. Like I, I feel like that's some people disagree, and they're just like, "What are you talking about?" I, 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 not, he's not terrible, but that's kind of what's annoying about it. It's just mediocre. It's like it's not, it's not bad, and it's also not good. It's just so average. And you have this character; where it's like he can't just be average. He, he, he's in almost every scene of the movie. He has to be larger than life. He has to be more interesting. And this movie does try some stuff with him. It tries to do more of his backstory. There's an origin story for his mustache. Good God, I don't know why. And in theory, it should be interesting, but there's just something sleepy about this performance, and I just did not buy it. I didn't care about him. And it's just very, again, yeah, sleepy is the word. I, I still felt kind of drowsy during this movie, but what, what did you think? Um, so yeah, we definitely disagree about murder, murder in the Orient Express in that I would certainly prefer that film to this one. Not that I think this wow, one okay. is a notable step down or anything. I think they're relatively close in quality, but I certainly found the presentation of murder in the Orient Express to be more charming. Um, it felt like, like you said, I felt like there's more energy to that film. I think Kenneth Branagh's eccentricities, both as an actor and as a filmmaker, are more apparent in that film as opposed to this one, which is a little bit more workman, workmanlike from him as a filmmaker. But like you said, there are those individual touches throughout the film where you're kind of seeing the classic Branagh, the weird filmmaker, coming out. And the most notable was obviously the origin story for his mustache, which... I think is sort of the peak of the film for me because that feels like it's such a bizarre out there choice that it's way more memorable than anything that was in Belfast. And I feel like Belfast type of film where it's supposed to be his most personal film. I know I talked about this a lot in our review of Belfast, but mm -hmm. it's, that's supposed to be off the air. his most personal film. And it weirdly feels like he reined it back to make an impersonal film. And it's just like what he is such a weird filmmaker. I don't get like he, clearly knows like the thematics of how to make a film like he has like this classical training with the Shakespearean background where he knows what it takes to make a film but he makes so many outlandish and odd visual and thematic choices that I I don't know if I admire it or if it annoys me or what but I feel like most of his films tend to work almost in spite of themselves maybe it's the cast maybe he just has enough going for him as a filmmaker that it, it works even in spite of itself but Obviously, there are examples where it doesn't. Uh, Artemis Fowl being the most notable and uh, most uh, infamous, I think, in that respect. But uh, with this film, yeah, I just felt like it was a lot of setup for not a lot of payoff uh, in the long run. I feel like the Murder in the Orient Express 
it's a little bit better about going. Maybe it's the actual train itself. You know, like it kind of keeps the course. It follows the Alec Christie model well enough. And I disagree with you about um, Kenneth Braun's performance in that film. I feel like it is pretty goofy in a way that I admire. Like I, I think a lot about how he's like giggling, reading Charles Dickens, like a little schoolgirl and stuff like that. Like those choices to me really stand out or his like weird love of pastries and all that. And I feel like that was mostly missing from this film. He's more of like a outsider looking in this film, which I guess he kind of was with the last one, but it felt like he had a little bit more agency in the story in the previous film. Whereas with this one, he's just kind of taking a backseat for all the wedding stuff that's going on. And the story build up that I feel like it takes way too long to get to the actual murder itself. And then the actual murder is, I do agree with you there. It's not like an unsatisfying story, but it's fairly predictable. And it seems like Kenneth Branagh has less interest in telling that mystery. Like it feels like he makes it pretty apparent who the murderer is from the get go. And he doesn't really even try to hide it. So he's like, it's more about the pageantry of these, you know, A-list or former A-list stars wearing, you know, lavish costumes and acting on this boat set. But also, I just feel like the the boat, while it's not a bad set piece, I found it to be less engaging. See, that's where I definitely disagree. I like the boat. The uh, train, and I think that's because I like the way the, he films the boat. The way that he kind of, like, contains it within the frame and does kind of unique camera angles and zooms around and, like, always is reminding you of where it is in the river. I actually thought it was way more impressive to me like mm. filmmaking wise than the train yeah no i definitely disagree with you because i feel like he because of the limitations of the train he has more of his inventive camera work i think a lot about like like the actual murder discovery scene the murder in the york express is like all overhead you kind of like follow him going into different compartments or there's like there's that tracking shot in the previous film where you set up the whole train i feel like was like there's a similar scene in, in this film where they try to do something similar with that but i didn't feel it was quite as uh, appealing to me than it was in Murder in the Orient Express. Like, I think I what know. it comes down to is I like boats more than trains. You like trains more than boats? I guess so. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> maybe it's, there's something kind of elemental <laughs> about that. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it it. I don't think either is like significantly better than the other. I just feel like the original film, maybe because it was, maybe because it's the first film, or maybe it's because Kenneth Branagh had a little bit more interest in it creatively. It just felt like that film had more charm, more going for it than this film, in my opinion. I think we have a much starker disagreement when it comes to Belfast, probably. Uh, Belfast, a movie that I don't love, but I certainly do not, you know, think is as mediocre as you seem to. Uh, I'm curious, though, because with Branagh, I agree with you so much that he's a very weird filmmaker. And in, in my personal opinion, I, I think his best, his best movies are his Shakespearean adaptations, his ha- you know, Hamlet and Much Ado About Nothing. I think In the Bleak Midwinter is probably my favorite of his older stuff. But in terms of like, his post, you know, and, and not, I've never seen All is True, so I, I can't really say like how that is. Uh, that's that's one where he is Shakespeare, right? Yeah. Um, he just I don't. He, he decided I guess stop being around the bush. I'll just be Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, you know, what respect. No, but like I think like in his post as you like it career, where he does as you like it, two thousand five, two thousand six, and then he starts he starts making more like uh, you know studio fare. You know, he makes sleuth. Uh, with Jude Law and Ooh, yeah. he makes Thor, yeah. the first Thor Thor's movie. Big one, yeah. yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, he does the Jack Ryan movie. He mm-hmm. does Cinderella. He just starts doing yeah. like all of this like big budget stuff. I don't like any of those movies very much. Thor, okay, I, I think, is kind of you know like I like Thor enough, but like it's not exactly a a favorite, right? Um, See, that's where I disagree with you. Yeah, I feel like Bronn. You like Thor more? 
I like him more as a studio director because I feel like that kookiness is appealing to me because he kind of brings something to what's often like boilerplate sort of projects. Like, why do we need another Cinderella movie? It's like, well, Brian is going to bring his mix of like classical filmmaking with some kind of weird choices that kind of spice it up a little bit. See, Yeah, I should I should rewatch Cinderella because I've only seen it once and I, I just didn't get that from that movie where I feel like everybody else did. Like if people really like it and I'm just like, ah, I just okay. think it's a low bar, but I think of the Disney live action remakes, it's certainly in like the top three of the ones that have come out in the past decade or so. And I think okay. a lot of that it's, is it's more in the middle for me, but OK. I think it's mostly uh, Lily James and Kate Blanchett and just, you know, the elegance of the costumes and the the sets and all that. I think it's just like they didn't, you know, they didn't shake it up too much, but they shook it up enough to justify its existence. And I felt like that was just like it's a respectable adaptation of Cinderella. And it's like that's really all it needed to be. And See, it, OK, yeah. I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way of his post Shakespearean era movies like his studio movies mm-hmm. the only one and this is in this isn't a studio movie but the only one that has actually made me sort of feel something is belfast belfast is the only one that i've watched Weird. where i've been like yeah this, this feels like a signature kind of movie i I, That's... I don't know like i i like belfast more than you do and i think that it's probably going to win some oscars even though i don't think it's uh, the best of you know any kind of think it it's in. i don't know i think i think it might win a couple maybe three yeah, I just that's what I find so weird. So, like, I feel like Belfast the one where I felt nothing. I just felt like I don't really even know why he did Yeah, that movie this. just missed you. Huh. I really did. I don't know. I just felt like it, it felt like it was not personal enough to really justify itself, but not impersonal feel reflective of the time period. So it was just I don't, I don't really know who it's for. Like, it didn't feel like it People was people in Belfast, I, I guess. I mean, but it didn't even feel like I mean, was it even shot in Belfast? A lot of it felt like it was shot in a studio. I have no idea. Yeah. Probably in a studio because like it's a very like fake location or not right. fake in terms of real life. But like they kind of had to build the sets. Right. Right. But I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing is I feel like, as I mentioned before, I feel like the CG-ness of Death of the Nile was more apparent in this film than it was. Yes. In oh, gosh. It's murder. Really or the Ori Express, and I think that also took me out of the film a little bit. Well, see, I didn't, I didn't think the CG in Murder on the Express was very good either. It was. I, I will say with great, this movie, but it didn't where take I do me out agree with you though, yeah. at least Murder on the Express is more efficient in terms of the structure because yeah. i do agree with you there this movie takes way too long to get to the murder this is like hurry up i, I really don't get why it has to like be, be, you know i mean beat around the bush i have a i have my my hunch but it might be a spoiler to say what it is okay uh, it just i think it was ultimately there is a certain star in this film that they wanted to get as much screen time as possible and the only way to do that is to kind of delay the plot that's my belief as far as like why it took so long to get to the actual murder perhaps i mean i think i think what it comes down to i guess the reason that i certainly like enjoyed this movie more than the last one even though you didn't is i think that it uh i'd like the characters more not all the characters but like i think some of these characters like russell brand and ali fazel they're they're blips like they, they, they barely register in this movie but good i i, I oof. tom bateman i can't keep saying i can't say it enough i i think that he is like operating at, at, at a level in this movie where i'm just way more interested and i've already said it about emmy mackie and and sofia canita whenever they're on screen i'm like i care about these characters like it's as simple as that i feel like they have interesting hooks i feel like their backstories are interesting letitia wright is interesting at times and, hmm. and i'm not saying that as somebody who's just like you know trying to 
crap on Letitia Wright, who I think has been getting uh, the brunt of some yeah, criticism I mean, outside of her acting, well, you know? I mean, I'm not going to defend her as a person for some of her beliefs, but I think she's a pretty good actress. I think she, yeah, her she's character, really good in Black Panther. And she was in that yeah. uh, Steve McQueen thing. I heard she yeah, was good she's in that. It's one of the ones I didn't see. Okay, yeah, she's great in, in both those films, but this one I think she's pretty good, and I think her character is certainly more interesting than the other ones. I guess where we disagree yeah, is that not bad. I didn't really find the characters in this film that interesting. I don't know. I feel like they were more interesting in the previous film. Like there was a little bit more, uh, there was more at stake totally as far as like disagree. the characters being, uh, you know, a little bit more varied and all that. I, I think obviously like there's the conversations of race in this film that I think are more interesting as far as like the the cultural dynamics and kind of the the, the opinions of the crew that that's like addressed in the previous film but uh, in a kind of surface level way in this one they tackle a little bit more head on but other than that i don't think the dynamics in this film are more interesting than the previous one i guess uh for me the character in this movie that i think is the least interesting is the rose leslie character she plays like a maid and that when i think of the characters from murder on the orient express they all kind of feel like that to me like the rose leslie character just like barely interesting to me and I, I mean i'm trying to think right now i remember okay josh gowd was in that daisy ridley daisy ridley will defoe uh michelle <sighs> pfeiffer I, I really just did not yeah i, I don't know i just uh, didn't have that experience with that film yeah i don't know I like, oh, Cruz. um yeah i don't know i feel like tom bateman people forget he's in the first one uh, oh, yeah, i did <laughs> yeah because that's your yeah the character was introduced in the first film um so yeah i, I feel like you were more taken with uh, Tom Bateman's performance in this film than I was, but I didn't think he was bad or anything. I did like Jennifer Sanders. She was kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I feel like she didn't make much of an impression. Like, it felt like I kept waiting for her to have like a big scene and I didn't, didn't yeah, that think she been nice. did. Um, I do I do think we do agree I for sure that the mystery itself is pretty predictable most people are going to get it and even if you don't it's going to happen and you're going to be kind of like oh is that all okay sure right it's not you know which it, it's not yeah. an Agatha but that's the thing how do you do that with Agatha Christie like it's a formula that she kind of right not created but, but really popularized it's hard to kind of get around that well that's why I'm wondering is that like I feel like Kenneth Branagh was more interested in telling that mystery in the first film and this one is just like okay like the mystery isn't that interesting but i like the setting i kind of like the characters and i like playing hercules perot so i'm going to kind of focus on that a little bit more this time and the murder itself is sort of secondary in the long run which is weird for a murder mystery such as this one but I, it just seemed like his interest lied in the other aspects of the film besides mystery which is not a bad thing per se but just makes for a very weird murder mystery film especially one that's called death on the knife <laughs> but all right uh i think i think we've made it pretty clear where we stand on this movie uh yeah i don't um, think it's gonna make a big splash do you think they're gonna make another one probably not but especially with all like the fox merger problems mm -hmm. but i don't know it's not impossible i mean it does I, bum me out a little bit because i do like the old-fashioned aesthetic of this thing yes, you know just that's that sort probably of, like, yeah the time period of it, you know, having a movie set, you know, in a fantastical look, not fantastical, it's not even fantastical, but yeah. like, I don't know, just that sort of old Hollywood feel yes. that we don't get as a lot of. And uh, well, I mean, kind of sad about that. We never even mentioned that it's shot on 65 millimeter film. Both films are shot on 65 You can't really mil, tell, adds, though. You, you can't tell in this one? No, it's so it's so digital. It's so yeah. like they, they do so much of post work on it. It's like, what's that's the what I felt even, about know? Belfast is that I felt like they did too much digital work on that because i didn't realize until afterwards they shut that at least belfast film. though it does have moments where it's not as apparent but this one um, i don't think hardly any 
there's like one scene in Belfast where it's like, oh yeah, this is probably shot on film, and that's like the singing scene, but that's about it, um, in my opinion. But uh, I feel like yeah, yeah it, I'd pick out a few, but okay. Um, I think it's more the the presentation was a little bit more lavish and a little bit more apparent in the previous film, which is also another reason why I think Murder in the Ori Express is a little bit better overall. But like I said, I feel like it's sort of splitting hairs. Like I think for me, it's like if Murder in the Ori Express is up here then death of now yeah. just like right around here we're kind of we're kind of arguing on the margins here right exactly it's like <laughs> i think they're two kind of middle of the road or middle of the track or middle of the the river movies yeah, nice. that um you know they're not they're not awful they kind of serve their point but you kind of wish they're better given the talents involved with both films but that's kind of what you expect from modern day kenneth brana i think so you know you kind of get what you expect here let's play the rotten tomatoes game america's favorite game show Sure. Obviously. Oh, uh, just before I forget, the one last thing I wanted to say about Death on Nile, I oh, yeah. like that it's actually kind of sexy in a way that, like, there's like, you know what I mean? Like, there's like, <laughs> you that opening dance number where well, it's well, kind that, of like, and, whoa, like, there's, dirty and there's dancing over here. And there's that scene where it's like the very obvious pyramids uh, set where it's like Army Hammer and like Gal Gadot, where it's like they're kind of getting a little frisky in a way that like you know yeah, Disney are. movies nowadays though they don't <laughs> even get close to doing something like that it just was like yeah yeah it was just it more than anything it was just kind of surprising it was just like oh, okay like it's just weird to see a movie where it's like two a, two or three adult characters are just like yeah we just have sex a lot and we like doing it and it's like it's all right stuff. you know you don't see that a lot in 90 million dollar blockbuster such as this one you know yeah, it's just, yeah. except for eternals maybe no they had a sex ah. scene yes there was a scene where they <laughs> they boinked once yes but that, other than those two films it seems like it's becoming more and more of a rarity in hollywood and you know yeah. it's not like it's not vendetta but it, it does feel like uh uh it does feel well, how that's the point of reference it's, sure it's not pell verhoeven's right well you know, i bring Catholic that one church up. opposing you know well i bring that one up because there's apparently something in the new yorker today that's like saying the sex scenes and bed that are weren't necessary or something i don't know what the argument i didn't read the yeah, article somebody always but, says something like that you but know she's just they have I, a need for speed i don't even want to give that article the click it's like i don't even know what argument you're yeah, yeah. trying to make Say it's, it's not the worth wrong the publication time. yeah right yeah yeah but anyway box office uh, game all right or, uh, Red, not box, Red, Rotten Tomatoes sorry. game. Our Rotten favorite, Tomato game, yes. It's our favorite game. It's America's favorite game. It's a game. Um, Will Ashen, 199 reviews have been counted on Rotten Tomatoes from critics at the time of this record. Hmm. What do you think the Rotten Tomato score is based on that? I genuinely do not know because this could be 42%. This could be 76%. Anywhere in between, honestly, makes sense to me. Uh, but I'm going to so say... That's your ceiling and that's your basement? I'm going to say it's somewhere between 58 and 70%. So I'm going to go 65%. Get out of here. You Is are right? such a cheater. You got no, a spot I didn't look on. It up. Is you it are exactly? such a cheater. No, How I didn't did look you it do up. that? Because, it, okay, you're just like, ah, oh, man. So it's it's somewhere between zero and 100. I'm just breaking <laughs> it down my logic here. I'm doing I'm, my I'm, Hercules Perot investigation, my breakdown of the, the mystery. I don't actually think you cheated. I'm just that impressed that I'm just like searching for explanations. How did you? That's that's really. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Sixty five percent exactly. Because when you said between fifty eight and seventy, I was just like, oh my gosh, he's getting close. Like I, he might actually get this. There you go. Good job. Good job. But let's see if your luck wears out, Will Ashton. For the audience score, the audience score is a thousand plus verified ratings. That's a lot. What do you think? What do you think the audiences are saying about this one? The ones on RT, at least. Uh. Hmm. My gut says forty-eight percent. 
83%. Oh, wow. You used up all your luck for that. (laughs) I know. I I put so much mental energy into guessing the critics. I didn't even. (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm as sleepy as John was during Murder the Air Express. Yeah. Um, All right. And then uh, CinemaScore. Folks in Vegas, they have a point of view on this one. Uh, A B? Yeah, spot on. Yeah, B cinema score. That that's lower than I would have guessed. I would have guessed B plus, but yeah, good call, good call. Especially I mean, with eighty three percent audience score. I just feel like audiences are gonna like it, but not love it. Like it doesn't seem like a movie mm-hmm. that people are like, yes, death on the Bring Nile. It. Yes, I want but it. They are, yeah, you know. Like I said, you kind of get what you expect from this, I guess. So a B seems appropriate. All right, last one. Letterboxed from zero zero to five. I guess it's like one to five stars. I don't know if you're going to do zero, but yeah. What do you think the average letterbox rating is? We have 23,000 people have watched it on here. What do you think? Well, I think letterbox skews younger and I feel like younger audiences are just going to shrug their shoulders and be like, that's a movie. So I'm going to say 2.5. 3.0. You really wow. did use up all the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People Two? on letterbox aren't that young. There are some, there are boomers on here. And sure, more than but I, I mean, the clientele that is going to seek out Death and Nile doesn't seem like the letterbox-friendly crowd. Is that fair to say? I don't know. I'd have to give that some thought. I'm sympathetic to your assumption, though. I'm not going to lie to you. All right, that's Death on the Nile. It is now playing in theaters. Let's talk about our next film here, and our last one. Kimmy, spelled K-I-M-I, or I think it's been stylized in some places. It's like all caps, Kimmy, because Kimmy is Kimmy. like a voice no we're not doing south park yeah. it's a uh, a voice assistant right so the movie kind of starts with being like how is kimmy different from siri or alexa or i guess they don't even do like the google thing uh this is a kind of paranoia thriller directed by steven soderbergh we already talked about him a little bit at the top of the show uh yeah this is his his latest hbo max release he also released no sudden move as we already mentioned and let them all talk last year and the year before uh, this was written and produced by David Cope, film stars Zoe Kravitz and Rita Wilson and a few other a few other kind of familiar faces. I think that one of the that one guy, was he the guy from um, Home Alone? Was he? Was he? Which I, I guy? Uh, he's the neighbor who's kind of like watching her from afar. Oh, that guy. Uh, I was trying to remember where he's from, but I could not uh, pierce it together. I thought he was Buzz in uh, the Home Alone That makes Alone sense. Movies. That actually, that would add up. Um, uh, also, Andy Daly is in this of movie. Of course, um, yes, Andy Daly. Yeah, love. Derek Delgadio. We talked about his. Um, oh yeah, we had his special last year. It was it a special? It was a really yeah. sort of an experience. Is, You're right. Uh, but this is his first uh, narrative film, I think, as an actor that I'm aware of. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen um, him. But in I looked it up. Else. I his IMDb, I think, has only two acting credits, and this is one of them. The other one is an episode of Vegas. Oh, never seen. Uh, it. So I don't know. I mean, Soderbergh traditionally is someone who likes to cast non-actors or people who aren't traditional actors and i feel like maybe this is just me and i really liked his hulu movie but i felt like his performance left something to be desired but it's such a supporting performance really? it doesn't really matter i thought he was I okay he was just, i didn't think his performance felt natural to me but it wasn't like really? it took me out of the movie or anything it just felt like i kind of disagree because he opens mm. the movie right he's on like yes. a zoom call and he's kind of doing like a ceo speech and it's so right. pained and there was well, something that's why, about yeah. it where i was like ooh. He's he's getting it like, I don't know. I actually felt and that's one of the more important scenes of the movie because it, it sets the tone for a lot of right. the movies like that just, world building. So, yeah, I kind of disagree with you. That feels like classic Soderbergh, though, where it's like you're hiring a sure. non-traditional actor. 
He's kind of giving a somewhat flat line reading, but that's to communicate kind of like the realness of it. You know what I mean? That's a very Soderbergh type of thing to do. I guess so. Okay, so the movie is, it takes place during kind of like, it's a post-pandemic movie. How many post-pandemic movies have we gotten, right? So this movie is kind of assuming, what if the vaccines have fixed everything? (laughs) I think that's probably when he filmed this. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it it seems like a, a very like June 2021 type movie where... The pandemic is still happening, but people are acting like the COVID's yeah. kind of on its way out. I see it here. They, they they were filming it in April 2021. So like this was, yeah, when the vaccines were coming out. And, you know, originally those vaccines, they were so effective against the original strain of COVID that it's, you know, people were like, yeah, this is it. Like, we're not going to have to worry. This is way before Delta and all that. You know, and so uh, mm-hmm. you know how I could tell it was that time period because mm-hmm. everyone was wearing cloth masks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> well come on i mean the cloth the whole like anti-cloth mask thing wasn't until like much more recently right i know that's now, what i mean but it just feels like yeah yeah it makes it feel more centric to that time because like everyone's right, just right. wearing cloth and i i mean i liked the cloth mask until the cdc told me i wasn't allowed to wear them but it just felt like oh yes <laughs> not saying you're not allowed to wear it. it's better to wear it than nothing but oh, yeah course, certainly yeah. you know but, surgical masks and n95s are superior but it maybe, like a lot of us knew uh, sure. I just, it just made me nostalgic for that time when mm-hmm. you were allowed to wear a cloth mask and you were doing your due diligence. And it's like, and also because COVID wasn't as tra- like before Omicron, right? It wasn't as transmissible. So like cloth mask was basically okay. Like you, it really did a lot of protection. Yeah. But nowadays it's kind of, it doesn't do as much. But anyway, all that to say, uh, this movie's kind of tackling like the trauma after the pandemic. And I actually think that even though it's kind of clear that it's not like our current sort of mode of pandemic. It actually, there were some things in it that I found pretty interesting about like commenting on how people are going to be able to get get past sort of the anxiety around like going outside your home because we're following a character. She's agoraphobic and the movie implies that she wasn't very agoraphobic before the pandemic, but it kind of like sort of, you know, bottled up some anxieties that were already there. And so she's having issues kind of like getting out of her house and being able to like cope with, you know, moving on. And and it's a weird movie in that sense, because I think some people would hear that and be like, well, it's not time yet to move on from the pandemic. People are still dying and all of that. And I think that's totally like, I totally agree. But I do think that it's an, it's interesting to see a movie sort of beginning that sort of conversation, because at some point we are going to be able to like move on more fully. I think a lot of people already have moved on a long time ago, you know, for whatever reason. And I think that uh, this movie is interesting in, in how it sort of tackles that and how it can be like a, a difficult thing, it can feel like your life is in danger because this is more of a crime thriller. It's not really about COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, it. it the, the thing I find most interesting about it is that it's taking this narrative format of something like the conversation or the lives of others. I was thinking of the conversation rear window, too. Rear window. Yeah, or, rear window yeah. and Disturbia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. But it's like taking that idea of like, you know, in the case of rear window, like a character has to be homebound, but it's not like they can't go outside. It's like there's like that fear of going outside, that social anxiety of being around other people, which I found to be a really interesting modern take on that story. And also, like you said, the conversation, taking the idea of like, we're just so naturally equipped to stuff. The services like Siri and Alexa, just hearing every conversation, the idea of privacy being dead and all this stuff, mm-hmm. but taking that to the conversation or the lives of other storyline where it's like, what's the thing that kind of infures? And it has like, I don't know, the commentary I feel here about like, uh the lack of privacy and like you know big corporations taking into like uh 
you know, our private conversations feels like deliberately sort of murky in a way that I find kind of interesting. It doesn't really take a stance on it in the broad teams. Like, like it's like, okay to kind of hear private conversations in some respects, but not others. And I don't know that. I find is it really fat. though? I, I think the movie kind of firmly is anti that, isn't sure. it? Sure. I think in the long run, it, is, but it, it kind of it does kind of play that sort of card of like, hey, technology can be useful. Like technology right. well, can help I mean. us get out of the problem that technology got us into, which. Right. But okay. like the crime wouldn't have been discovered if she wasn't listening to that conversation or didn't have access to that conversation. That's like the kind of murkiness I find kind of fascinating with the film. I, yeah, but here's the thing, though. Right. I like I like how it's not that black and white. Well, of course, that's it, what I'm you trying know what to I mean? say. It's, it's kind yeah, of gray, you said it's yeah. murky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Because it's sort of like it's this mentality of like, yeah, yeah like privacy is dead and like all these terrible things are happening. It's, it's sort of like you're an active participant in something that's bad, but like you can't really change it by boycotting it necessarily. So like, you know, there is this sort of interesting avenue, a little right. bit of like a, a room for cinematic discussion around, yeah. well, if you partake, if you have to participate in this system, this like system that is very flawed and detrimental in a lot of ways, how can you sort of gear it toward good? And should you even do that? Should you just sort of like, I think this movie kind of implies that she shouldn't work for this company, right? I mean, that's kind of a given. So yes. <laughs> can, can I can I say, I I really like this movie. It's a good like, movie. I watched this, I, I, I was like really into this. I, I think yeah. that it's it's tight. It, the structure is, is right on. Like he escalates it, Soderbergh and David Cope. it it, like i don't know the pacing is really solid i feel like we were always progressing something new is always happening i was worried when the movie began and we were sort of getting to know angela i was like are we going to be in this apartment the entire time and no like the movie actually gives us good reasons to get her out of that apartment without her character sort of taking shortcuts narratively Mm -hmm. and in a way where i felt like i was with her and i really connected with her also she has this kind of like fifth element kind of uh sci-fi sort of like outfit thing going on but like she the has blue, blue hair, hair. is that what you're trying to say under, no the blue hair and like she wears like the white tank top and like the yes. white shorts right and it's like it's ripping straight from fifth, fifth element right or there might be another movie that where uh, that's kind of a thing isn't it alien well, has uh, a little bit of that eternal sunshine maybe is that what yeah. you're thinking yeah there, there are a few movies that kind of like dig into that and i don't know there was stuff like that where i was like this is unique like th- this is kind of taking well-worn material as we've mentioned and kind of twisting into something kind of i don't know kind of uh satisfying to just to watch his movie even if all the political stuff you're kind of like eh. yeah i mean i don't know i, I guess if i had one big complaints i, I kind of wish it died more into the politics of it but at the same time i kind of like like you said how nifty and how efficient it is as a streaming exclusive like you said Soderbergh is such he he has nailed filmmaking down to like a science at this point he has sort of a weird left brain mentality to filmmaking where he's obviously the editor and the cinematographer of his films in addition to directing them and I think he gets a script like this one and he's like I know what I want to do with this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to take you know this much concentrated effort to focus on this stuff and do this stuff but there is room for experimentation like for instance like there are a lot of scenes here where it's purely auditory and he has to find cinematic ways to explore that and it's kind of like um what do you call it where you like kind of like put the frame over the frame um what do you call that like uh where you lapse lapse the frame um yeah there is a term for it that's escaping me uh and he like uh um 
he has like kind of like neat little flashbacks where you kind of get like very Soderbergh as shots. And, you know, also like even the apartment itself, like you said, like it could have been dull just focusing on one singular location, but he finds interesting little camera angles to take in there. They're all obviously very Soderbergh esque and also communicating the social anxiety of being outside. And yeah, he just does very like stuff you expect from Soderbergh. They're cra- it, it's creative in its own way, but just feels very true to his style. And he knows what he wants to get out of a film. And he, he's, uh, of this league of filmmakers where he seems to be able to do stuff in like two to three takes and he's very efficient in that regard and he's still able to produce good stuff at the same time and yeah it's just he's a a craft filmmaker he just knows what he's doing he really even is. if i don't yeah even if i always think his movies are a level i think he's always able to make at least like a b level movie because he just knows what he's doing he's really good at doing that at this point this is turning out to be so far a really good year for Zoe Kravitz. I think that she really shines in this. I mean, I, I think that she sparkles in this movie. It's just sort of like, she she is a very well-written character, a character who is complicated. Her flaws kind of make sense to me, honestly, uh, in, in a way that like, I don't know, I, I just don't feel like she's a cartoon character. I feel like she makes sense to me. I could like meet people like her. Uh, this movie kind of, I think, I think kind of implies that she's autistic, right? Or she's on the spectrum. And they kind of like present it in a way where it's kind of like how they do with the uh, with the COVID thing. It's like it's part of the movie, but it's not about that stuff. You know, it's really more about these other things like the, you know, the crime element and sort of updating the conversation to be like, what if you like exist in a world where, you know, you we, we know people are listening. Like we know we have these speakers in our house, our phones, every like we know that like people are spying on us. And it's just sort of like this begrudging acceptance like you just kind of numb yourself to like the truth of that you know like that movies like the social dilemma are just like yeah it's happening and we're like yeah we know and then we just keep doing it <laughs> and, and this movie is just kind of like well if you're just gonna keep doing it might as well try to solve a murder <laughs> you know and i don't know there's just something i think uh yeah the word the word you, you described earlier is it's nifty <laughs> it's, it makes for an entertaining movie yeah i mean the um the idea of her being on the spectrum was something that i wasn't really expecting going into this it's something i guess is somewhat vague in the film but i know there's the the little like puzzle piece um uh keychain that she has and you know obviously she has trouble making eye contact with people she kind of speaks in this sort of like blunt uh in social manner and just like kind of little cues i felt were making it seem apparent that she was on a spectrum but they didn't make like a big to do about it in a way that i feel like other movies would have made a finer point on that and i found that to be really fascinating and also didn't feel like it cheap like they weren't like doing that for any like uh um cheap reasons narratively i felt like it, her character is like efficient enough on her own and that just added some extra intrigue to who uh she was as a character and all that so yeah i definitely found that to be appealing and something that made me endear to the film more but like we were saying before i just think it already works on its own metrics and i also just think like you said that uh zoe kravis is just you know, this, I don't know if it's her best performance, but I have to say it's probably one of her best, right? I can't think of a performance. Even from better hers. than Divergent? Come on, <laughs> Will. Well, yeah, because I was trying to, like, I mean, like, she's in, like, Mad Max and, like, a few other notable movies, but, like, I don't think about her Fantastic performances. Beasts, X Men First Class. Um, she's good. <laughs> she has a little bit of a role. Like, she's okay in, like, Big Little Lies. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Little Lies is probably one of her best performances before this one, but I was just trying to think, like, all these other movies you're mentioning, she's in an ensemble, and this is yeah, such a good... Yeah, I mean, like, Gemini, she was kind of... Um, okay, I didn't see Gemini. She had a bigger role in that, right? I didn't um, see that one, so uh, I Didn't we I talk can't about it on the show? It's 2017. The you one may, where... I mean, you might have talked about it. I just wasn't part of that conversation because okay, yeah. I didn't see it. She's but, in that with uh, Lola Kirk. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, I didn't see that film, but I mean, I know she was like in Rough Night, which, you know, everyone yeah, has forgotten yeah. and all that. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a good showcase for her. I mean, just, you know. She's going to be Catwoman. We're going to see her oh, yeah. in like a month in the new Batman. That is true. You um, sound so excited. No, I'm excited. I just feel like I'm not like pumped for it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah it's going to yeah. probably be a good movie. Like, I'm not like, yes. Let's Another Batman gritty, oh, dark finally. mystery movie where he's going to have. time noir elements like who finally we I find a, a movie that understands yes that batman's the world's greatest detective who would have no thought? other movie has ever even considered batman yeah. as a detective i think it's gonna be good i'm hoping it's good um but yeah i haven't seen the and film this movie's obviously. good yes this one's good yeah i like it. um but yeah i mean uh i think it's like we've been saying before just a well-crafted genre enthused movie that you know comes from a filmmaker who just uh if he's not at the top of his game just certainly knows what he's doing and is really just continuing to make consistently really solid films after really solid film and uh, i am also glad that he seems to be out of his cell phone phase not that those movies were inferior per se but i just i think i prefer a movie like this where it's clearly you know more cinematic in its presentation, even though it's only going to be on HBO Max. Like, it's clear that I, I just prefer this side of Soderbergh a little bit more. But, you know, he just, you know, no matter what he's going to do, I'm going to probably be interested in see it because, like, uh, it's very rare that we get a laundromat where he disappoints. And yeah. <laughs> even that movie has some, a few handful of uh, fans and defenders. And I don't think it does. Get them. I mean, it has its swings. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think this movie, I, I could see some people being like, ah, you know, it's nothing special or whatever. But, I just think it moves and it's uh, it, it's solid. Like solid is the word for it. It's got, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those genre thriller kind of movies where, you know, it has something to say. It may not be the smartest movie you're going to watch, but the fact that it's only 89 minutes, the fact that the lead performance is really just working and everybody in the movie is just kind of bringing it. I don't, I don't know. I, I got, I got enough out of this movie where I just felt like I was like, yeah, like this is the kind of thing that I do want from these sort of like low budget you know, straight to streaming kind of movies, like yeah. something this visceral, like if we're entering a stage of filmmaking where most of the stuff we're getting is sort of made for streaming service, it's like the new TV movie. Sure. We just don't really have a name, like a consensus name for it at the moment. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely one of the ones that I would certainly take over plenty of others. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Give me more Kimmy. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, my main thing I just wanted to say other than that was just that I think we're in this very weird cinematic and creative phase where we obviously have to address the pandemic in a lot of projects but it's like you don't want to make movies about covid because you know like what you know it's not very cinematic to see a bunch of people kind of isolating and you know uh hand sanitizing that's something else i love about the movie is a uh, her like way she like dries her hands with with hand sanitizers it's uh, i've been mimicking that all day just her way of drying her <laughs> hands right. with the uh, it's so good um it's such <laughs> great uh physicality there but um yeah I, I think we're at this weird phase now where we have to obviously address the pandemic and use it in a way that you know a movie like this where it heightens the paranoia it heightens the anxiety of the time but it doesn't they don't put too fine a point on it like it's obviously there they address it it's something you can't ignore but it, it doesn't take away from your like enjoyment factor you don't have to have like a five minute scene where we have to discuss the pandemic it's just something that the yeah, characters yeah. deal with and it's part of their lives, but it, it, I don't think it will Im- impede future people watching this movie from enjoying it because it just works as a solid piece of entertainment, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I'm very happy because I think Soderbergh is on a roll. 
I really, really enjoyed No Sudden Move. I really enjoyed this movie. I, I thought Let Them All Talk was solid. I thought The Laundromat like the was unfortunate. But then before yeah. that, we had High Flying Bird, which I thought was also really good. So yeah, he's he's doing, he, he's hit after hit. You know, Logan mm. Lucky. You know, one of the first, I think that was the first Soderbergh movie you and I talked about on Cinemaholics. Yeah, we had, uh, really uh, didn't stuff. we have like uh, Maverick and someone else like not be in that movie's camp for some reason? I don't know. I forget why. Oh, um, yeah, because we had Daniel Craig on the show, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah of was course. Kinda, He's method acting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was a little bit warmer on Let Them All Talk than you were. But uh, yeah, I agree. With you. I think he's just really doing so. I didn't have stuff. significant issues with it. Yeah, I feel like the last thing of his I felt was like a truly great work of art was The Nick, which I don't think you've seen yet. But no. um, I feel like everything he's been doing, with the exception of Laundromat, has been at the very least very solid and very worthwhile. And I'm glad I see him and all that. And I just think he knows how to make a really solid piece of entertainment. And uh, this is certainly no exception. This is a good pulpy bit of streaming fun. Agreed. All right, I just looked it up. So our Cinemaholics episode of Logan Lucky. So we're, yes. we're, this is episode right now, 259. Wow. This episode was episode 28. How about that? What a uh, time. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, this movie, we recorded it with Andy Herndon. Of, oh yeah. Uh, he used to be on the D-Cast. I think now it's called Walt's Apartment. Uh, he, you know, do you know, you know what Andy's been up to? No. He, he has like kind of pivoted to like a hiking sort of uh, lifestyle brand. Uh, he, he's like become like a total like hiker influencer. It's really cool. His Instagram is super fun. Um, he, he lives in port in not Portland, uh, Oregon. He lives out there and he, he goes on lots of hikes and he, he does a lot of content about that. It's really cool. Hmm. Wasn't he Um, uh, going to film school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know if he's still doing stuff like that, but, uh, I think, I think he's, he's still makes stuff like related to the hiking thing. Yeah. Uh, This is an interesting episode because we also talked about the hitman's bodyguard, wind river, Season one of the Defenders and the Glass Castle. What wow. a, what an episode of Cinemaholics. Yeah, Classic. go back and listen to that. I guess unless <laughs> I guess, uh, if you want a if you want a time machine and sure. see how see how far we've we've fallen. I guess now. Sure. Um, are we playing in the Round Tomatoes game? Is it time? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be no cinema score for this one, right? No, I don't think they do them for the streamings. Mm. Maybe someday, uh, but we can do uh, Letterboxed and all that fun stuff. But okay, well, hmm. we have 58 reviews counted for Kimmy. Hmm. What do you think the Rotten Tomato score is? Uh, 84%? 90%. Oh, so okay. six off. 90%. That's pretty high. Even for 58 reviews. I'm actually, I, was, I wasn't expecting that. I would have guessed around where you did. Probably around hmm. 80. Uh, audience score, 100 plus ratings. What do you think? Um, 72%? 72%? Ooh. Oh, Way off. Oh, 52%. Oh. Off by 20 I didn't expect it to be that low. I th- I think people are watching it and maybe some of the, like, cause there's me too stuff in it uh, because okay. of the COVID stuff. People are Whoa. probably just like, Meh. why does she have blue hair? What the SJW? Why, 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 why don't they have a scene where they talk about why she has blue hair? What's up and with I, that? I'm looking at the rotten reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and, uh, yeah, Matt Donato, friend of the show, certainly yeah, recognized he him on here. He, he wasn't didn't like it. it. Yeah, 2.5 out of five. Yeah, I was going to say. And, uh, love Matt Donato. So his take is fun. Yeah. I wanna, Kimmy, he says Kimmy zips and zigzags as a conspiracy thriller. It can feel detrimentally superficial despite Zoe Kravitz giving it 110%. So we do agree about Zoe Kravitz being it. Yeah. Being the hit. Uh, I thought you were going to say we agree that she's in the movie. That's we, we can all agree. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Zoe Kravitz is the star of Kimmy. We're um, all united on that. Yes. Uh, I think we should have Matt Donato back on the show at some point. He'd be a good guest again. It's been but, too long. 
Yeah. 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 If you're We're listening. fans of Donato and Certified for God and, and Matt Monagle and those folks. Never yeah. had Matt Monagle on the show, though. That'd be fun. Bring him on. Why not? Yeah. More the merrier. Uh, mm. Okay. Letterbox rating for Kimmy. What do you, what do you think out of five stars? 3.4. Very close. 3.3. That's okay. 22,000 people have watched it. So I think this is one of those movies that's going to find its audience over time. I think people are going to like, be like, oh, I, I kind of heard of this. You know, it's on HBO Max. We're going to watch it and, and maybe be surprised that it's as good as it is. You know, yeah. maybe not expecting like an amazing film, but, you know. Yeah. I'm very, very curious to see how this movie ages just as far as like the, sure. the COVIDness of it. I don't know if that's going to impede people, like I said, from seeing it. But it I just think it works on its own. Yeah, it could. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the ticket. It's not locked down. It's not even like pink cloud. Oh, yes. It's not even trying to. <laughs> right. You know, it's it, well, it really is. Yeah. No, I, I was thinking a lot about lockdown because that's literally like a year ago. Right. That was also an HBO Max yeah. exclusive. Also star studded. Also had like cameos from people zooming into the movie, literally phoning it in. Uh, but in this movie, and, and it's see, certainly, yeah. yeah and, and see, that's, that's the thing. Well, right. Movies were made during the great depression. Movies were made during world war two yes. and they address world war two. They address these big moments. Right. And I think what comes down to them aging is a movie like Casablanca, which is about more than world war two. Right. right. It grapes of wrath is about more than the great depression. It's, it's about sure. something else uh, yes. on top of that. And, uh, that's why I think this thing is one of the ones that I could, it could squeak through in terms of relevance. So, yeah, I don't think it's. Casablanca or the Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, yeah, I, get, I know. I, I chose, get your logic. I choose, yeah. Those are just the first ones I thought of at the time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I got your logic. I get your logic, yeah. Um, okay, so that is our show this week. Uh, we'll hopefully be talking about I Want You Back pretty soon yeah. on the show as a bonus. In terms of next week's releases, uh, we will for sure be talking about Uncharted. I'm actually on my way to go watch that now. Oh, okay. uh, that is the new Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg film based on the video game that Will has Ooh. never played, but I have played. And we were supposed to have a special guest for that. So if that works out, supposed I won't to? say who it is just in case. Oh, okay. I, I, I was going to say, like, what if there's yeah. a con- What if something happens yeah. and you can't make it? Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So Uncharted. We might also talk about Dog. We might also talk about The Curse. There are a few other movies coming out and we're, we're figuring sure. out now what the plan is going to be. But you can expect another fun episode of Cinemaholics. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, they always are fun to some extent for some reason. I have fun. Total failures. You do? I hope other people. I have fun. Yeah, of course I have fun. I think the listeners have fun. I, I, I mean, hope why, so. Why wouldn't? If they were still listening, why would they, you know. Go on to iTunes and just write fun. Yes. If you're having fun. And thank you know you what? Give, by the yeah. way, thank you. A few, we've had a few people give us uh, a few new ratings on the show. Uh, our rating p- bumped up a bit. And I was super happy hmm. about that because we got some negative ones that have bumped us down hmm. to 4.3. And I was like, what are we doing? Hmm. You know? But then some people were really nice and they bumped it. We're, we're up to 4.4. Nice. Isn't that nice. I think you take. I think you take more stock in this than I do, but I understand why yeah. you care about it so much. Nah, I'm trying to keep this podcast above water. I know. I know. <laughs> so that's why like, you got to go. Give us a yeah, three out gotta, of five. That's what's going to get us listeners. People are going to be like, whoa. <laughs> three out of five. This thing is, uh, this is, is a LCJ real, on this podcast? <laughs> three out of five. That's a real murder in the Ori Express here. What do we got? <laughs> All right. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinema Hawks. We'll see you all in the next one from the Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.